Welcome back, guys, to Bota Worldviews and Albanian Culture podcast with me, your host, Leonita, the Albanian American Perspective. On today's episode, I have a really cool episode. I'm going to be joined by Armando Jetia. He is a lightweight MMA fighter. And we're going to get into knowing about his story and how he came to be a fighter and get more into knowing about him. So welcome, uh, Armando. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. It's good to have you on. So like I was saying to you a little bit earlier, I really like the idea of like being a in martial arts, you know, being a fighter. For those that don't know, like MMA is like, is stands for mixed martial arts, right? Yeah, correct. So, well, before we get all into that, kind of tell us a little bit about you and where you came from, like um, your your heritage, your background, origin. I always smile, smile at that question because it's kind of complicated to answer for me. When they, I mean, yes, the question, when you ask me, where are you from? I'm Albanian. That's the first thing that comes up. Uh, I moved from place to place and I grew up and uh, in another country, and then I moved here. I was born in Albania in 1993, and at the age of three, I moved to Italy. Mm. I lived there for 21 years. Then something like four and a half years ago, I moved here. Wow, so wow, how was it to be in uh, growing up in Italy? How was that experience? Did you do you know Italian very well as too? Uh, yeah, I speak Italian better than Albanian, English, any other language. It's something I'm really proud of. To yeah. uh, Let me tell you, like this thing of knowing for my, more and more foreign languages is something mm-hmm. I'm proud of. Uh, Italian helped me then here to adapt and switch to Spanish. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. That <laughs> is very cool. Did you move with your whole family or did you move... You know, like yes. So my father moved first in 1995. So just few years after the collapse of dictatorship in 1991, and then we joined a year after when there was a moratorium, and they will give they will give papers to whoever crossed the, the Adriatic Sea and had been working for you know at least a couple of years paying taxes and respecting the law. So that's that's how it all started. I was a baby. So I just have little glimpse of me adapting to to Italian. But by being so young, I switched to Italian so fast that then I ended up forgetting about Albanian for the next 10 years. Yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. Did your parents, um, were they really rooted in Albania like they really wanted to keep that alive with you guys like the Albanian language culture or oh well definitely that was uh it's deep rooted in my family Uh, it's something family wise so in our household you will have to speak Albanian you will have to know basic let's say basic rules basic Mm -hmm. history basic traditions, rules of uh, how to behave when somebody comes in, behave when you're going and visiting some, and you're visiting somebody. Mm -hmm. So all of that. It was hard for me. What has helped me is by the age of 16, 17, a couple of my cousins moved from Albania to Italy. I started hanging out with them and by catching up with Albanian, with the language, I immediately readjusted with with everything yeah because when you have uh like your cousins and stuff it's easier for you to keep close ties you know with that with your culture because they yeah. understand you and you and un- you'll, you'll understand each other better than maybe somebody who's not experienced that well i gotta tell you it you gotta have a click inside of you too i think I have so many examples. I have cousins. I have a brother that was born in Italy and grew up in Italy. He he knows little to none of Albanian. You know, sometimes you you asking yourselves, me, my parents as a family, like we didn't push enough 
or there was no click from him. I don't really know. Are you the oldest? No, I'm the second. We are three brothers. Mm -hmm. I'm the older one that lives in uh, in France, in Toulouse, and the younger one is still with my family. So he's the one, the younger one, was the one that doesn't know as much. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Usually the younger ones are like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Great. they're like more just do whatever kind of thing. Yeah, I feel that too. Like kind of I was born in between generations. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I'm like 1993. Like you are in between this oldest technological revolution, uh, moving from uh, little Nokia's and no, <laughs> no money to send text messages to what we have now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was a part of it too. Yeah, I think that is a big part of it. And, you know, when time passes and people just want to be accepted and have an easier way and with school and stuff, you just kind of be like, I'll just go with that. Even in America, you know, because I was born, not born here, but I came here when I was a baby, like three. So I assimilated very easily to American, you know, life and culture and language. But I still know Albanian, you know, and I still try to keep that up. But it's not as good maybe as some other people, but it's still really important to me. Well, let me tell you, America, um, uh, Albanians in America, I can tell you are doing uh, pretty well compared to the rest of the Albanians in Europe. Yeah, you think so? Yes, I do. I do. It's more, more traditional. Is that a good thing? <laughs> Well, you know, it has its, you know, dark sides, let's say. But generally, yes, if you take it on the bright side, yes, definitely, yes. One of the big parts is you can also be proud. I noticed that you, you can be fierce and proud of being Albanian in this country. I have never realized that sort of silent racism in Italy growing up until I moved here, mm. you will ask why and how. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you, uh, I speak Italian better than most of my friends back in Italy. I have Italian papers. I'm an Italian citizenship too. But, you know, there's something in the eyes of them, not, not all of them, of course, because I'm not here to make the, a whole country racist. But there's always that something that looking at you like something is missing mm. or, or you coming from another category. And I never liked that once, but I never realized it until I moved here. Hmm. So what made you realize that here, like the difference? It might sound like uh, super silly. The way young Albanians are proud and show that they are Albanian. But I noticed this is a thing of not only Albanians, many other, many other cultures, Italians, for example. I happen to live in, a, in, in Morris Park in, one of, in an Italian-Albanian Italian community. And they do express that proudly too. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Mm. No prejudice. There is no... Of course, we're always going to have those stereotypes and making jokes, but it's different. Like, I enjoy that part, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And I feel like because the countries like in Europe are very secular, you know, and that they have their culture, like Italians, you know, Greece, Albanians, like it's the majority of them are that person. But in America, it's a mixing of cultures. So there's all kinds of cultures here. It's not just like one group of people. So yeah, so I could see that because you you go to Albania. Me, if I go to Albania, they're gonna look at me like, oh, you're you're American. Like, <laughs> true. You know? true so they look at me a certain way too, and even though I'm Albanian, you know. So or even I'm from Kosovo. If I go from Kosovo to Albania, they're gonna look at you a different way. Like, oh, you're really like not like us that much. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little different <laughs> and I don't know it's, it's not good to be like that but I feel like it's hard for people to get out of that feeling because they're so used to just their own people all the time 
you know yeah. you're you're used to seeing the same kind of people all day every day speaking the same language and here in america we're used to seeing all kinds of different people and different cultures and different languages it's like we here i'm used to that to me it's normal well i was reading an article regarding this i think it's more than a year ago so it this has to do also with language so they were making an example where they will say let's take albanian whatever albanian is being spoken now here depending of course of you know albanians from the north center south it's pretty much the albanian that was spoken a hundred years ago in mm -hmm. in albania at that time so it's like taking a photography taking a pic a picture with you and take it to america mm -hmm. so of course when you come back and you are the second, third generation, no matter if your parents and your grandparents taught you Albanian, once you go back and you start speaking Albanian, it's going to sound weird from both sides. Yes. Yeah, because we're not learning, we're not progressing with the language that they are over there. We just stuck to that same one that we learned, you know, and we're like, this is, this is all we know. We're not going to keep learning the different, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the languages. You know, like when you go to school and stuff, like we're not going to school and keep learning about Albanian language. No, we're not updating. We're not updating. Updating, that's it. <laughs> what is really updating? Uh, there are tons of uh, examples in various languages where every year they be adding to their own dictionary a new word. A new word, where does a word come from? from uh, progressing in technology. I don't think there was a word such as computer uh, 250 years ago. So it's the same thing for every single little language and the flexion of your tongue, a vocal missing, mm -hmm. uh, you writing a consonant down or not, and the next person, how is it gonna read it? So it's yeah, fun. Exactly. And it's funny because you know three languages and you said you know a little Spanish four, too. Four and, uh, I speak Italian, Spanish, French, a little bit of French, Albanian, and English. That's impressive. Thank so you. you do. So you seem to like language or like yeah. to learn about it. Only problem is that you got to keep practicing. And my French is dying little by little because I have nobody to, you know, to practice with. Which language do you feel like was the most difficult to learn? Most difficult. Hmm. I can tell you to, to the word which one is the most difficult. I think Italian is difficult, but for me it was easy because, you know, I went to school there. So for me, the very next was French. French mm -hmm. was difficult for me. It has, it's a mix in between German and English rules and the pronunciation all these nose noises they be making yeah right <laughs> and it's pretty it's pretty still pretty hard for me so english was pretty easy you think oh english look i had all my english teachers back in uh, back in italy that will that will teach uh, british english and they will make fun of my accent. They will be, stop trying to be so American. I'm like, listen, this is my accent. This is how I like to pronounce it. And I was already projecting myself into, I'm gonna move out of this country. Mm. And so then you came to America. Where, where did you first come to when you came here? I moved to the Bronx and I haven't moved since. North of the Bronx, like right on the border with uh, Worcester County. It's comfortable for me because uh, I train in two academies. One is in the city. The other one is up north in Mount Vernon, 20 minutes from me. So it's perfect because I do up and down and I'm right in the middle. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. New York Bronx is a very cool place to be. And there's probably a lot of Albanians in that area. Unity. <laughs> so kind of tell us how you came into um, fighting and getting into martial arts. When did that all start? It started at the age of eight. So they were distributing these flyers at school, elementary school. 
and they will propose either soccer, that is the main thing in Italy, then volleyball, that it's more, you know, I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is for girls, it's not for me. <laughs> and martial arts, judo. So I was just curious because that flyer happened to pass into my hands like a couple times and I was like, you know, let me ask my parents and they took me there. And from there, you know, at that time, I wasn't already, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It was a crescendo. Like I also, I even remember a year from 14 to 15 where I didn't practice at all. I just stopped. I gave up. Mm. But right after that, at the age of 16, I started again. And from that day on, I never stopped. I kept increasing, increasing the number of training sessions. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I moved from just try, trying to throw people on the ground to, okay, now I want to learn how to strike. I moved to Kempo. That is a, is a variation of karate. And from then on, I was just hungry for information. I wanted to know how to do it better, how to do it with a different style. So I moved to kickboxing. Then I tried boxing. Then, you know, the more I was hungry, the more I was also realizing that, okay, but this is not the sport for where I'm living. From there, I was just, you know, with, with this passion for languages and martial arts, I was like, I got to get out of here. So by 1920, I was already telling my father, listen, I know we're waiting for the Italian papers, the citizenship, but as soon as I'm getting that passport, I'm letting you know I'm leaving. This mm -hmm. is not for me. How did he take that? How did, he, how did your family feel? My father, okay. My mother, not so well. <laughs> but they okay with it now. You know, now that they're seeing the results and it's just the beginning, they like it. They all, they already came here and visited me a couple of times. But uh, back at the very beginning, you know, Albanian moms, oh, there's no mom there. <laughs> <laughs> My father, I still remember, he, he told me what his father told him when he moved to Italy. Mm. You'll never know what you're going to find there. But the little piece of land, the little house that is here, is not, nobody's ever going to take it. You can always come back. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. So I always, you know, with fear, but I always wanted to get out of my comfort zone, always wanted to test myself. And now it's getting bigger and bigger. And when you start canalizing this, it's like nav navigating into waters and you start with nothing, you just have the boat, but every step you take, every mile you make, you start finding your tools to navigate better. You're more skilled and it gets better and better. Mm, yeah. What are some of the skills that you need to have as a fighter, like to, to fight and be where you this are? Discipline. The very first is discipline. Albanians will say heart, but heart doesn't cut it. Discipline, and this is one of my goals. I want to show to my community with my fellow Albanians, because I'm not the only one. I'm not the only MMA fighters. We have another at least six, seven fighters I can mention that are on the same path. And with them, I want to show to Albanians that it's not only about heart, it's about discipline. You got to canalize it. So I think that's the most important one. So literally, even if you're tired, drag yourself out and get it done. You have a schedule, you got to do it, no matter how you feel. Do you have like a very strict schedule of like training where you have yes. to like be up at a certain time, do this and this kind of go through the day of what your day looks like? When I'm not fighting, it divides mainly in, in two phases. When I'm not fighting up and when I'm on training camp, of course, I'm going to increase the number of training sessions. But yes, everything is on, on a schedule from eating my meal plan to the training sessions because mixed martial arts includes 
striking includes uh, grappling, wrestling, everything. So you got to build your own game. Of course, you're not going to be able to, in a lifetime, to learn all the martial arts we have. But you pick two, three, and then from there you build your game. Mm. So you're going to have two, three times a week, you're going to have to do boxing. Two, three times a week, you're going to have to do jujitsu then wrestling, then you got to know how to defend uh, against the wall, how to attack against the wall or fence. Of the training camp, I pretty much train for sure once a day. I try to kick in at least two days of the week where I do two sessions and then I rest on the weekend. I have something like 2,500 to 3,000 calories a day. And then, yeah, I'm calculating my cheat meal too because I'm a, I'm a sweet tooth. Like, I really, I really enjoy food. I really love food. Do you try to stick to the healthy, like, high-calorie foods? Not like... Yeah, uh, organic as much as I can. Healthy stuff. And then, you know, I have my day usually on Sunday or on Wednesday, high-carb day, when I know that I have two sessions. So I got to justify it. I have my two sessions, but then I go home and I have my pasta. Mm-hmm. By the way, I love, I enjoy cooking too. Nice. That's one of the many gifts I got from growing up in Italy. That's awesome that you know how to cook because it's going to be important for you because you have oh, to eat so much food <laughs> in that day. <laughs> and then it gets a little, it gets a little uh, tough on training camp. Usually I start two months before the fight and I try to drop my first four or five pounds. Then from there, I have to drop another seven to eight pounds. Mm. And on the last week, I had to go through a process that is called weight cutting. That is a really tough process where we, how can I explain it in simple words? So we manipulate our body and try to control the amount of water that our the cells in our body can retain and shrink ourselves, jump on the scale, make weight, and then recover everything. Recover, I usually recover in 30 out, 24 to 30 hours, something like 15 pounds. And then yes, into 17 pounds heavier the next day when I get into the cage. Wow, that's really hard on your body. To be able to restrict that much, lose all that, and then it go is. back. So you got to start early. You got to have, you know, the mindset. You got to be tough. I'm on a, I just started a couple hours ago on a 24-hour water fast to reset my hormones and for hormone sensitivity so I can better manipulate my body when... Next week, yes, in 10 days from now, I'm going to start the water loading where I'm going to have to drink two gallons of water a day for three straight days. I know it sounds crazy, but unfortunately, this is, this, this is what everybody's doing in mm-hmm. uh, both in, uh, you know, in everything, in wrestling, in uh, MMA, in boxing. They all do it because somebody, somebody that thought he was smart 100, 150 years ago was like, wait, let me see if I can take advantage of uh, on by manipulating my weight. And from there, we have never intervened to change this thing. So the weight, the weight ceremony is still a day before the fight. So everybody's doing it. So if you don't do it the very next day, you're going to have somebody in front of you that is 15 pounds heavier than you. Wow. That's so crazy to think. And you're in the lightweight category. So you have to be like on the lighter end. Is that? Yeah, I dropped down to 155. My real body weight, like I walk around 182 pounds, 83. Yeah, 155 to 183 regular, like on a Yeah, it takes a month. It takes a month, three weeks. Then depending on... Depending where you at during the year, if you keep yourself slow and they call you last minute in, you can also make it in in a week, 10 days. Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel like that causes a lot of stress on you, like mentally and physically, you know, when you have? I'm getting better. I'm getting better, but it really does play a role into your head where you are nervous for everything. You are pissed at everything, every little thing. But I've got, I got better on training my mind and get out of my body for a moment and be like, calm down, relax. It's normal. It's happening because of such and such. Mm. And just lay down and think about the next meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then just know that this is not going to last for a long yeah. time. You'll get back to your regular <laughs> eating and training and all that so that's at least good you know for most of the time you are still eating like a good amount and you're doing those healthy but stuff i really 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 enjoy my food i'm uh i'm a disaster especially right after a fight i'm a disaster it's just carb day every day for the first three four days <laughs> is protein important too like the carbs is good for your energy you know but like you isn't protein like high protein diet important uh, yes, it is. It's sort of a keto diet when I'm preparing for a fight. I don't know if you can see it right behind me. There's something like one, two, three, six pages. That's my meal plan. <laughs> and under it, the calendar, I have like four meals a day. And it's mainly just I'm working with a nutritionist for this fight. Okay, I was about to say, I'm like, do you work with a nutritionist? or? Yeah. First time I get to work with a professional nutritionist. He's been in, he's been working with UFC and Bellator fighters for a couple of years now. And I'm on a what what is it called? A 40, 30, 30 diet. So it's 40 protein, 40, 30 carbs, 30 fat, if I'm not wrong, if I'm not mistaken. I hope he's not listening or he was, he's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, yeah, uh, super low amounts mm. every four hours. It's like giving to your body little shots of energies to go, to go on for, you know, three hours, three and a half hours. And then you have to recharge right after. So you can be on a calorie deficit and the, uh, you know, drop weight, drop weight the smart way, trying to maintain and preserve your muscles as much as you can and then proceed. And then I wanted to also kind of quickly ask was, do you focus on weights at all? Like weight training, is that a big part of it too? You know, I'm still, I have uh, some sort of conflict with myself and it's been for the past year because if you think about it, uh, one of the biggest example of my jujitsu professor was if you're getting ready for a fight and the fight is in two months, in a two-month span, how much strength are you going to gain in two to three months compared to if I show you a technique, a transition, and you repeat it over and over in one lesson, how much of difference you can gain with your opponent in terms of skills that will lead you to win the fight? Mm. Of course, you're gonna have some sort. You're gonna have to to have some sort of strength, and you, you need it. You know, uh, you're gonna need your cardio. You're gonna need your sprints. You're gonna need your lifting. But mainly, I, I like I try to do as much as I can uh, low resistance exercises, something that to preserve my joints as much as I can, because you know it's already brutal by itself. We are doing, you know, ankle locks and knee, knee bars. Mm -hmm. And we, we're trying to, to tear limbs out from somebody, from each other. So definitely, yes, definitely you need strength. Definitely you need stability. But it's been a couple of years that I don't go that crazy. I don't go that heavy on weights. Mm -hmm. I don't like to put pressure on my, on my joints. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten injured like really badly during fights? During fights, no, my last biggest injury is my left hand. Uh, I'm an idiot. I didn't wrap my hands. It was the last round with some beginners. I just let my hand go. And this kid just shields 
and my hand bends. Oh. From there, it was the beginning of my amateur career here in the U.S. a year and a half ago. And I went on to fight five times with a broken hand because the first time the x-ray didn't show anything, but you know, the hand was swollen. I had a lot of pain. After my fifth fight, I was like, I I gotta, I went for an MRI and I basically broke second and third metacarpal at the base. They had to remove the two fragments and replace with bone marrow, getting it from my right hip, wire me in with four wires. And I had eight months of hell where I couldn't couldn't punch. Dang, wow. I got cleared in August, late August. So I, I don't know if you can see the bump. Yeah, I can see it. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> wow. That's rough. Cause like you that's what you use, your hands, you know, you punch and having that be and that it's injured, a, it's hard. It's a good one, but it's okay. It, it, it served its purpose. I grew up in other in other sectors, mm-hmm. not only in MMA, but in my life. Like it set me up to, well, this is not the end of the world. This is not a wall that you cannot break. It's just you can work on so many other things, and that's what I did. I bought a set of elastic bands and I started working with elastic bands. I started running and running and running and to get a higher pace for when, when I fight, I started working on the back just with my right hand. And that's all I did for eight straight months. Hmm. See, that's discipline right there for sure. When you can take something and still hone in onto a different skill or different way of you know, doing what you do. Cause a lot of people would be like, well, I'm injured. I'm just going to take a break. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit around. I enjoyed myself because, you know, I wasn't fighting. So I was, I will treat myself somehow because you, you do need that mentally. You do need that to treat yourself and that will be food, you know, consciously, but food was, was something that it really helped me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to run. I'm going to keep my cal. I'm going to keep counting my calories, but I'm going to enjoy my food too. And then what helped me a lot was this dwelling, thinking about it, like just sitting on the couch, looking at, at the outer space and say, what am I going to do? Like I moved here. I'm by myself. This was the goal. There's so many things I want to do in life. What am I going to do? If I sit I'm not producing. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not thinking of a solution. I'm not. You gotta move. This is stolen from somebody, so don't uh, don't sign me on it. Doubt, doubts come start coming into when there is no action. You gotta move. As simple as run, because you know sometimes you're like, yeah, but I need this. I need that. I need the gloves. Then I need the right pants to go run. Then I need such and such. Whichever sector in life we're talking about. Well, but start with what you have and let me see how good you can do it with what you have. Mm. Like, show me that you are the best at doing it with what you have. Yeah. Then once you start thinking like that, it's like, it's like magic. It's like uh, things start to happen. People start calling you or texting you. Or people want to be around you because you're, you, you're radiating with positive energy. And they, you know, you're always going to have those doubters and be like, okay, he's just nuts. He's crazy. He's going bananas. But, well, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love that mentality of being like that. Um, I wish I could be better at that because I'm very weak-minded a lot of times where I'm just like I give up I'm like if I can't do it you know what I I can't do it I'm just not gonna do it and I hate that feeling because then I give up and you don't know where you can go if you give up let me tell you it gets better but also the challenges start getting tougher and it 
it feels sometimes it feels like oh it's not true it doesn't get any better it's the opposite you got better but the challenges are tougher mm-hmm. today it took from 9 a.m to 11 to convince myself that I'm gonna go to my training session and I'm gonna start my fasting it really took two hours believe it or not I was like, I'm done. I don't care. It's just a pound missing, a pound and a half. I don't want to do it. It's comfortable here. And, you know, you start with your first foot out of the bed. Then you're like, you know what? I enjoy coffee. Uh, Let me make a coffee. Let me sip. Then let me open the door. Let me me smell some fresh Mm -hmm. air. You know, you start building. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Like take those small little steps. Okay, do this. Okay, Just now. roll, roll over the bed. <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah, that's true, man. Oh. It sometimes always seems like that's always the hardest thing for me personally, like to get up and just go. But once you start, you know, you always once you start, you're always like in a good mood, you always feel better, like, say, for instance, like working out or trying to eat healthy, you know, stuff that people try to do. Yep. And once you when you're in it, and when you're doing it, you feel great, you feel amazing. And then the next yep. day comes and you're like, Oh, I'm getting lazy. I don't know. Because, you know, you, you complimenting yourself. And that is a nice that that's a nice thing. Because you got it done. But it doesn't have to be pretty every time, you know? Like it's the volume itself of all the times you have done it that is gonna bring you results. No matter if you were crying or craving something and you're starving or you're puking, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever it takes, then, you know, long-term, cause you're looking at something five, 10 years from now. Mm not a week from now oh next monday i want to see i want to see this Mm. so you're saying to look long term like what is the long-term goal not what the goal is for tomorrow or get it It, it, it's it's not gonna be pretty you're like you want to achieve something it's not gonna be pretty it's not i assure you whatever is writing uh acting like you're gonna have to do it over and over and over and over again there's a beautiful book that I read last year of Caldwell. It's called The Outliers. And every little chapter has its own little story. And it explains how it's not just about, oh, DNA, uh, you're gifted, you're talented. It comes from somewhere. There is a science behind it. There is data. And it includes, of course, partially your genes if it's a gift from mom and dad or your grandparents, cause they've been, uh, in my case, they've been training and fighting or lifting weights their whole life. It's a gift. Yeah. But then it also takes a uh, repetition. Yeah. And hours to put in. Mm-hmm. That's the part. That's the part. That's the hard work that you're putting in that hard work. And I like how you were saying, like, some days you're crying, some days are, you know, it's not always going to be like this good day. It's going to be hard, but it's about trying to, what's that goal you're trying to reach and really improving yourself and trying to be better and always learning from your, do you ever feel like you're learning every day? You're learning from maybe mistakes you've made and tried to improve in that too. It's like, it's always learning something. Yeah, it is. It is. Even from frustration. Uh, I can make a, a, a billion of examples. Like yesterday night, uh, I was just pissed that I couldn't do a transition. Because, of course, uh, you know, I'm on a low-calorie diet. So that's playing, uh, that's playing already a part in it. So I'm not as smart and clean, as reactive as usual. Plus, this guy is a really good wrestler, heavier than me. I was really trying so bad to get on top or to stand up before he did, and I couldn't. And I will just force it. 
the thing is that, you know, as soon as we finished the round, my coach came into the corner and was like, you're just going to guess out. Okay, you got out, but you got out at what cost? You still need gas in your tank for the next combination. And once we went through the transition and the way how to, to get out of it, I was like, you know, sometimes you just got to wait for the moment and seize it and just take a second. And pro if it takes longer to process it, just process it. If it's a stall moment, you have a few more seconds. There's always something new. You know, when... When it's a good day, it's a good day. So you already know you've done your thing and your transitions were smooth. Your combinations were crisp. It's when it's a bad day that you have to then sit and think about it and replay it in your head and replay it with your teammate. Uh, that's when you get the most out of it. It's not about winning. I'm not going to the academy to win every time. That is the process. And then once you have that, it feels like having a, uh, a major tool or something that puts you in that position where it clicks and the process of learning is way faster. I have struggled a lot in wrestling uh, almost throughout all my MMA, uh, I mean, martial art journey up until 10 months ago, a year, a year ago, when I started training with my new coach and it was mind-blowing. Hmm. And from there, it clicked and learning was so, I started learning so fast. It, it felt like I squeezed four or five years in 10 months. Wow. That's impressive. You just got to keep it like that. I, I, I repeat, people are going to call you crazy, but just laugh at it. Laugh at it. Like, I don't know how many times you've heard of legends in, uh, in each sport and in everything in life that they almost drove themselves crazy for mm -hmm. their chin. That's what I'm talking about. That's where the process is. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people call you crazier or like that because you're just always training, you, you're very particular and you have to do certain things a certain way? Do people go and like say, hey, let's go out, let's go do this and let's go drinking or something? Are you like, oh. Oh, I can't and do they get upset at you for that throughout the year they've learned because they, they know that my answer is always this is my schedule this is what I can I eat this is what can I drink and I I, I don't go out I don't go out I like call call me weirdo or whatever <laughs> but whoever understands it, it takes this much sacrifice to you know to reach an elite level because first of all, I like this. I love it. It's my thing. Second, it's not for everybody. It's like that person that went close to Arnold Schwarzenegger and told him, oh, how, how can you like being this big with all these muscles? I will never want to be like you. And he answered, you never will. <laughs> so that, that's what I think. But, you know, whoever is really close to me, they understand and they know what I'm doing mm -hmm. the rest I, I I don't really care I don't really care mm -hmm. you know especially in, uh, in our community it's not that big of a thing martial arts yeah they do love men they do love enjoy seeing fights but they do not like what it involves mm -hmm. what's behind that mm -hmm. it's a lot of work like yeah. it's a lot of discipline <laughs> like you said so it's definitely not for everyone you have to be a very special person <laughs> to be able to do that and that in a good way though like a, that's a you know very impressive way you build it you build it in the process you build it in the process and you just gotta believe in yourself you know it, it's silly you hear it everywhere from movies and everything but for real like when I was, this is something really, really personal. I've always had this little thought in my head, this little voice telling me, starting from the age of, you know, 13, 14, teenage, this thought of, this is not what I'm meant for. Like, this is regular. This is mediocre. I don't know how to explain it. I always had this 
shy, small, tiny voice, but it will be persistent, mm-hmm. even bad days. Like, this is not what I'm meant for. I know that I'm not on this planet for, for, for just being regular. I want to be me, but to the extreme. And that has helped me. That has helped me. On, even on the worst days, even when I felt that I was really a million miles away from what I, I was supposed to do. Like my first year when I came here, I was working as a plumber, never worked as a plumber in my life. I was just helping the team and moving pipes up and down in the city. And they will ask me tools. And all I could think was, I'm supposed to to be running right now or to shadow box or to lift some weights. Like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so far away. But then I will remind myself that it's part of the process. That was part of the process. As crazy as it can sound, that was part of the process because, you know, by logic, I needed to make ends up ends meet, you know? Mm-hmm. So I could have that hour a day, hour and a half a day at night to go train. Yeah. Mm. And when you got into the training program, was that like... Uh... Do you have to apply for it and like interview to be in a certain school or with a certain coach? Or is it you just be like, hey, I want to work with you or do they look for you? I'm just curious of how that process goes. I don't know how to explain it. So what I what I did when I moved here, they presented me to this Albanian guy that apparently was the only one in the whole community practicing jujitsu. So he, he was so nice that he showed me two, three academies around. At that time, I've done my own research too, trying to understand where the best teachers are, where mm-hmm. the best professors, where the best boxers are uh, based on the area. And then from there, I started. I presented myself, I showed up, I started training and I, you know, I explained briefly where I came from, what kind of experience I had and what I wanted to do. And then after that, it took almost a year to, to get a, an amateur fight. And from there, I built my record. After building my record, then, you know, the surgery came in. Thankfully, I know it's bad to say that, but it happened during Corona, during the pandemic. So I was like, well, at least everything is closed. Nobody <laughs> fighting. The promotions are closed. So I was yeah. like, yeah, that, right. <laughs> right. When everything was like stopped, you stopped <laughs> pretty much for a second. Other choice. <laughs> yeah. So then you got into the academy and you've been training and all that stuff. And yeah, I moved from one academy to the other you know to the main academy to the headquarters i'm mm-hmm. actually in uh, at Hanzo gracie in the city in manhattan mm-hmm. and in mount vernon at arena training center with my friend and coach and brother elvis gashi albanian kosovo guy glory fighter ranked oh. up the world and we, you know, we found each other in the way of thinking and training and we keep pushing each other harder and harder. I love that. Do you have somebody that you've like always looked up to like an idol or like a mentor that's really been a big part of your, you know, success and your path? Well, I felt in love with MMA in 2011 when I was still doing a mix of judo, kickboxing, boxing. So I wasn't there yet. Then, yeah, you know, you, you start opening your computer and watching all these highlight videos. And I had my two, three favorite fighters. But then from there, you know, it's kind of, you have mentors, not idols no more. Cause you trying, you're trying to become one. Like you're trying to to be there with them, next to them, or one day in front of them. So yes, I do have mentors, not 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 idols as much. Like I do really respect some some legends, and I try to acquire information from them as much as I can by watching their videos, or meeting them and talking to them. 
and they do inspire me. I see them more more as, even if I don't get to train with them as much, I see more of them as mentors. I see, I try to get inspiration and to get information from my coaches. I try to understand the process that goes into their minds mm-hmm. to achieve what they have achieved. Mm-hmm. Are your coaches, um, were they former MMA fighters and now they become coaches or would they? I have teammates that have reached already pretty high levels and they've been my sparring partners I've been their sparring partners we've been helping each other out but at this point uh, it's more of they've been fighters they've been Muay Thai fighters kickboxing fighters they've been grappling uh, grappling athletes and it's up to me then when I go to the academy in the city to put everything together or when I'm sparring to put up everything together. So it's definitely a lot of work, a lot of discipline, a lot of routine you have to follow. You have to do things a certain way um, when it comes to like your food, your eating, your training. But it's always like learning. You're always learning. You're always growing. You're always improving so you could get to the level that you want to be. What's the next thing that you're going to be doing? So you said you have something coming up in the next couple of months. Is that like the big? Actually, in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's going to be on March 27th. And I'm going to be fighting in Tampa, Florida. And it's really nice that this happened today. With this fight coming up, we are going to be four Albanians fighting in the same card the same night. It's something of sort of amazing. I really love this. I really hope this event will help spread out more and more uh, martial arts in general. Not what is on just on the surface and what regular people think of or just violence, but the discipline that there is behind, the, the sportsmanship, the, the lifestyle the discipline and all that, especially for our community. Yeah, it's really good to see that somebody like you is so, you know, intuitive into, you know, who they are and what they want to express. And they're very, not just hardworking, but like you said, that discipline where you just always want to be better or a better person, whether, you know, on on the mat or maybe I feel like even in in real life, like in your regular life. I could see like you have this, you're always thinking of a better way to be or like a, improve yourself some way. I think that's really the a goal, a better version of myself every time, every time, every day, whatever it is, no matter if it's cooking, speaking, reading, training, everything. Like what, what am I going to lose from it? Nothing. So might as well uh, shoot for the stars in what I love to do in life and worst comes to worst for sure i'm going to improve at least 10 times from the point i started yeah and a lot of people guys especially out there i feel like in our community need to hear that and you know to have that mentality of always trying to you know be better like we're good you could be a good person and be good but there's always room for you know learning and improving yourself in some way you know we should never stop learning i think in anything that we do. Yeah, let me let me add, like for whoever is feels lost or feels like he has no foundation, somehow we all lost. We all navigating. We all trying to navigate in life. Just experiment. Don't waste. Experiment. Like make it make it worth. Mm. Like because you know, hanging out with hanging out with friends in the weekend like i think you already experienced you already experimented that quite a couple times and you know you've done it once you've done it twice then it's wasting let me say i, I love enjoy i love hanging out i love having my time but what people that feel lost should try to do should think about is experimenting there is nothing wrong in going in that direction for a year, working hard, and then understand deeply, truly, that it's not the thing for you, but there is something else that really fires you up. Mm. There's nothing wrong. So there's nothing wrong with trying different things till you figure out what's it's right. The, for you. 
of failures all together that are going to give you direction to what you really want the most. If I don't have information, I go by intuition. I try. It's a step. Then a second. I fail. I start from, you know, from step one. I start again in another direction. It's just, I'm just trying to navigate. But the more, the more you try, the more you acquire skills and you know how to better move. Kind of, this is kind of more like in your personal level. But do you ever get pressure from your, like your family or people around you to be like, "Oh, what about your family? Starting a family, getting married, <laughs> having kids? You know, this well, this martial arts thing on the side. Like, family is more important because that's in our culture, right? To be so, families, you know, the most well, important. And since I moved here, actually, because you know, I moved here couple months before turning 24 and there has always been that pressure not only in yeah in everything like you know typical typical in your family like they want something secure for you mm-hmm. they they don't want to see you suffer the way they have suffered in their lives so like you gotta try to understand that point too like you gotta try to work with them and imagine me when I'm like, listen, yeah, I'm moving there, but I'm just letting you know, I'm going there because I want to fight. <laughs> and they stopped, they stopped pressuring me from giving up uh, a year and a half ago, two, two years ago, no more than two years ago, where I was like, like I put it like really, I, I put it down to, I'm not a thief. I have no criminal record. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't use drugs. I am working. I am paying my own bills. Let me, let me be. Please let me be. Let me try. Let me show you that this is worth it. This is what I really love. And that's how I figured out the martial art part, the martial arts part. And then, you know, you have the, the whole marriage and thing. You know, marriage, that's another thing. In our culture, they used to get married so young. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an historic factor in that too. Uh, if you think about it, uh, you can look it up online. There are these graphics where they show at what age people would get married right after the war, right after big events like uh, World War One, World War Two, you know, scarcity in men and, you know, they got to regrow the population. So what? Let's get married at 18, 19, 20, 21. And now with all this well-being, our generation, it's like, wait a second, wait a moment. I still need to try to figure myself out and then to build a family. I am not gonna build a family just to build it, just because uh, my aunt is saying so, or my grandma is saying Uh so. Somebody else in the family got married earlier than me. Yeah. (laughs) The times now have changed a lot for sure because people are pursuing more of their passions or dreams, you know, their careers. And even women are, be you know are older and older and older and they're not getting married let alone men you know what i mean with men it's like if you're older it's okay but even yeah. with women it's like oh from both sides and i think in our community more towards women because they're pretending their daughters to be to get to be married to get married at 22 3 4 no well wait calm down you didn't get the chance but you moved to this country to give your kids a chance let give them a chance to to grow up to figure themselves out to know what they want to do empower them what is going to happen they're going to get married at late late 20s early 30s who cares mm-hmm. who yeah. cares you're happy of course there is that source of urgency i think there's no uh, there's no albanian kid that says oh i don't want to get married i don't want to have a family one day we all want to have a family one day. It's just, there are so many factors. Yeah, factor of fear. It can be, yeah, on the other side, I was going to add this. On the other side also, 
you ne- once you find the right person, you're never going to be 100% ready because then the next pressure is, oh, uh, when is the first kid going to, going <laughs> to, hey, you want the first kid and you feel the pressure as a man, you feel the pressure of, I got to have everything set up. I want to be financially stable. You're never going to be 100% in every little aspect. Yeah. I'm not saying to go blind, but also, you know, don't get cold feet. Do you feel like you, if the right person came in your life, you'd be like, try to make it work? Or you'd be like, you know what? It's just not a good time in my life to have something like this, to worry about, you know, somebody else or whatever. You, you're very focused on what you're doing and it's hard to. Well, know. let me say, I have somebody first. Okay. I uh, do acknowledge and I like, I come hands, hands up every in my life. I always came hands up since uh, I decided that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life, that I'm a particular individual and I have a really strict way of life. I know that I still have to work on a lot of aspects in my life uh, and especially to learn how to come. Oh, this is so hard for me to pronounce. Compartmentalize my emotions or what I'm doing in life. Uh, I've started reading a lot. Actually, I got to catch up this year because I'm already behind one or two books. Uh, Greek literature or other books where, you know, you, you got to be able to be, you know, you're doing something where you have to be strict for yourself. But you gotta be, you gotta understand the people that are surrounding you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting back to that, yeah, I, I tell them like this is what I'm doing. It's hard, but this is what I have to offer. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> it's you know, take it or leave it. I, I am like I don't want to sound so rude, but this is what I'm doing, and I know deep down in my heart that I'm not doing something wrong in my life. I'm not wasting my life. I'm doing something okay. that, that I love. Mm-hmm. It's just to understand, you know, do you want to try to make this work with me? Can you make it? Can you do it? Would you like to try? If, what do you think? Yeah. In all relationships, even if you are, you know. I was just about to say every relationship, it's a compromise. To- out and you like I think even regular regular people that have a nine to five job uh, they have their own moments they have to figure out stuff something that you don't like the way the way that your wife squeezes the the toothpaste and drives you nuts because you do it in a different way right (laughs) it's true every relationship is gonna have something like my husband he plays soccer and that's his thing you'll never he told me like when we got married he's like I'm never giving up soccer. Like that's his hobby. It's not his career, but like, he's like, I'm never giving it up just so you know. And I'm like, okay, fast forward, like five years later when we're married and he's like, I'm like, when are you going to stop going to soccer? (laughs) He's like, you're always going to soccer. And he's like, I told you from the beginning. He's like, so don't even start. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) You You did warn me. So that I get it's always some kind of you have to have the compromise of what the person is really passionate about and understanding like that's what they like and that's what they enjoy and you shouldn't take that away from somebody because then it's not a healthy relationship it's you're you're bringing that person down so no it's not and then you know on my side I'm gonna have to make it up for what my partner likes what my partner loves what are my duties as a partner and everything exactly yep it's true well what can we see in this in this coming up year from you um armando well the goal is to squeeze in as many fights as i can i predict you know universe willing uh four fights till the end of the year mm-hmm. and probably the next year the same thing until I get to a point where I get that call that I so dreamed of uh, many years ago and get into one of those elite MMA promotions 
Hmm. Amazing. So there's a lot of work for me from now on. A lot of work coming my way. You can do it. I, I love to see it. I think you're really great at what you're doing. And I love talking to you today and getting to know you a little bit more. Um, so your fight is coming up. Is there like a place where people can see you fight like on TV yeah. or anywhere? So it's on my bio on my Instagram. I have an Instagram page that I'm trying. That's something I suck on. <laughs> I'm trying to improve with social media. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, to to get people to know me more. And I put on my bio the link where they can purchase the pay-per-view and watch me fight. There is a there is a because of because of the fact that we are four Albanians, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of Albanians flying down for us supporting. And I can't thank them enough for the sponsorships, for the tickets, from everything, everything. That's I really have to say thank you. So yes, the link is gonna be on my bio on Armando Jetia. And you can find it there. Okay, awesome. So guys, check it out when you get a chance and follow him on his Instagram at Armando Jetia. It's underscore Armando Jetia underscore. Thank you. You guys can find him there. Follow him. um, And then check out that link that he has in his profile. They'll They'll show where he's fighting and this coming up weeks. And that'll be a really, really cool fight. Like you said, four Albanians. A lot of Albanian support. That's going to be a really good one. That's exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming here today and joining me, Armando. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lenita. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you like these episodes and you like this episode, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Check us out on Instagram at Bota Podcast. Thanks so much and catch you guys next week. Bye.